I definitely do they do like less sparkly versions from that company. Ah, <laughs> oh, we've got a snort straight away again. <laughs> um pass, maybe. I don't know. If you want, this might be the last time I ever do an intro or episode after using that little soundbite for the start of the episode. This week we are talking all about pre-mark hierarchy of dog needs, and so much more. So let's get straight to it. Hello, everybody. This is episode four of the Dog Training Dictionary. I'm just going to disclose that we have Grumpy Greg today. I don't know why, but we have Grumpy Greg. So I am Carrie-Anne Selwyn, and that is... Um, Grumpy Greg Patterson. Apparently so, because, yeah, yeah, he's just grumples today, so we may have to bear with him. He might be a little bit snippy. So not had enough that. caffeine. Not had enough caffeine. Oh, is that your excuse? I, I'm only on my second one today, and I've been up like five and a half hours. Two, oh, like cherub. one and a half coffees and five and a half hours just isn't enough. Oh, cherub! I know. You know, <laughs> break out the violins. I might have to overdub some violins at that point. I think we should, because it'll be funny. Um, so, Mr. Greg, what are we talking about today? Um, well, I think we're going across a few spectrums today, but it was kind of pretty much all inspired off the back of one of our What Word Wednesdays, mm-hmm. where um, the lovely Vicky asked us to discuss pre-Mac. And as we got chatting about it, we thought, well, there's probably a couple of things that we want to kind of cover that go around that particular um, that particular phrase or, or whatever we want to call it, that particular word. Um, so, yeah, we're going to dive into quite a few topics. I think we're going to talk about kind of the hierarchy of dogs needs we're going to talk a little bit about kind of trigger stacking and calming signals and then all of those things hopefully should tease up nicely to where uh, to cover that particular what word wednesday exactly and it also ties in really nicely with what we spoke about in episode three with the bat and cat and lat because some of the pre-mac principle does apply to that kind of stuff as well so all this dog training stuff is very integrated and it's just a crazy web where Everything links to everything else in some way, which is why we are doing What Word Wednesday. But it's also how the kind of dog training dictionary came about, because a lot of the times we use terms that do link to other stuff. But if you don't understand what one of those terms means, it can just make the whole thing very muddy and very difficult to understand. Definitely. Definitely. And it is. And it's and like I said, so many of these things we... We almost talk to them without even calling them what we actually know them as in, in kind of the uh, in some of the definitions. So again, it's there'll be a lot of this stuff that I think when we start talking about it, people go, well, obviously, yeah, we've already kind of covered that or it dovetails really nicely into, you know, kind of different things that we've covered, like um, open conditioning, for example, is all kind of part of pre-Mac and everything else. So it all it is all interlinked. It's all interconnected. Exactly that. So pre-Mac. The pre-MAC principle, if you actually just stick into Google pre-MAC principle, the first thing it comes up with was actually, I was going to say child training. It's not child training. It's child education. 
it's basically training it's all training people it's all learning so last week we were speaking about um, like conditioning and conditioning is just learning but telling people that you are going to condition their children they either think they're going to end up with super soft hair or like completely ripped and like built and oh, i forget greg doesn't have hair sorry sorry you must have beard conditioner like that must be a thing um rain does does that count as beard conditioner? oh my goodness amateur 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 I, I, i'm certainly not like over the half i'm not at that level beard oil is about as far as i might get occasionally if i'm going out and feeling a bit fancy <laughs> hilarious so Back on dog training before yes. this becomes the the beard fast, which would just be weird. Um, so pre-mac is basically known as grandma's rule. So the most obvious example of it is you've got to eat your greens before you can have your pudding. That's it. You have to do something that you may not particularly like to do or the less desirable behavior from the learner's perspective. And that is then reinforced by something that is desirable or being able to do a more desirable behavior like playing. So do your homework, then you can go and play with your mates or finish writing an essay and then you can play a computer game. Or I'm trying to think of an adult example. With hubby, it's like finish building that wall and then you can go and play with your car. <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of works, doesn't it? <laughs> that, that was off the top of my head. Like, yeah. Um, and I think sometimes like when you see in like training groups and stuff like people. So the first thing I'm going to drop a bombshell here. And it's quite a sweeping statement, but I feel it's true. When you're using reinforcement, you're using the pre-mac principle. <laughs> yeah. I do. Right, that's it. Episode done, isn't it? <laughs> there we are, boom. Mic drop. Let's leave it there. <laughs> but I see a lot of things like, oh, you know, my dog chases squirrels or my dog's recall's not good. And you see people go, oh, well, use the pre-mac principle. Now, the thing is that the pre-mac principle can work, but I think a lot of people try and use it with the reinforcement being something that's going to get the dog completely, completely up to that top level of threshold that we were talking about in episode one. And for a lot of dogs, especially dogs that have a very high prey drive, and we're going to dive into that in another episode, not this one. But when we think about dogs that are bred to chase things, Chasing a squirrel can have the dog going from kind of, oh, that's my reinforcement call, let's keep learning, to, oh, my God, squirrels, ah! And then you're not going to get anything out of them for the rest of the walk. So we have to kind of be careful when we are pre macking what reinforcement we're using. Because if we use something that gets the dog too over-aroused, actually, it can be detrimental to that behavior we're trying to teach in the first place yeah i can't follow that that's a really really good point it's it, it absolutely is and i think this is where kind of 
I think what we often call the art of dog training comes in because it's about being able to put that complete picture together and understand you don't ever use these things just in isolation as one tactic to, you know, to work with your dog and help them learn how to deal with certain situations. You're constantly assessing, reassessing, reviewing, making sure that, as you say, they're actually learning. There is some beneficial elements going on here. And mm. yeah, it is. It's It's just... It's that thing. So, like, say, if you are in a in a group or getting some advice, and somebody is talking about pre mac, it's kind of in its essence. Yes, it is absolutely a great way to train your dog, but it isn't the only way, and it's not just a do that method, hell or high water, because it will probably work against you more than it will actually work for you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely everything with this is going right back to what we said at the start. It's, it's intertwined. It's intertwined for a reason because it is all of these variables, all of these things that we're constantly looking at and assessing are all part of that picture of the, for the learner. And that's what we've always kind of got to play around with and get the, the yeah. cocktail right to get the most out of every kind of situation or every learning experience. So I think as well, pre-mac, the other thing to remember is a lot of the time it's environmental reinforcers. So sometimes it can be like a game of tuggy or food or whatever but quite often we can use environmental factors so in the reinforcement episode we did which was episode two um we were talking about using the environment for reinforcing behavior and that is kind of your pre-max stuff but this is where we do have to be a little bit careful so loosely walking you'll hear people oh pre-max the dog for loosely walking okay so if the dog does say four steps of loosely walking then they can sniff because the dog enjoys sniffing. That's pre-mac. But the sniffing is a lovely, calming behavior. If it was do four steps of loose walking and then chase a squirrel, when you then finally get the dog back from chasing the squirrel, which may not be the easiest thing because squirrel, um, and one of my dogs, so Munchkin, here's a little tale to digress. We'll have our first digression of the episode. Many moons ago, Miss Munchkin came very, very close to catching a squirrel. Um, and she ran across the field. The squirrel, I think it must have been young. It was literally just hanging out, like, in the middle of a field. It wasn't even near the trees. And Munch just went, oh, squirrel! Went pelting after it. Now, this is back in the day, and she was pretty quick at that point. Squirrel went up the tree. Munch went up the tree after it. She actually went a good six, seven foot up the tree and then gravity. (laughs) And there was this split second of look on her face of... Like the cartoon um, moment. Yeah, that little, uh (laughs) uh-oh. And luckily she landed on all fours and wasn't injured. But like hindsight, not the best thing for her to have done. Like (laughs) she she had a bit of a mental kind of just... All instinct took over and there was no self-preservation. She just went vertical up this tree and then went, oh. <laughs> I forgot I can't climb these. Yeah, I is not a cat. And then came down. Um, but it does show that when they get into that intense kind of prey drive, and I'm going to make a note that we need to cover that in an episode, Um the dogs aren't always thinking and listening and learning. They're just acting on instinct. So that's where we need to be a bit mindful of what we are using as our pre-mac reinforcer. Because if the dog's going to get giddy and can't learn after, then you're not really pre-macking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And 
And again, I think there's also that bit, again, it's like balance as well, isn't it? Like everything in life, it's, you know, this is where we get into the whole 3Ds and all that kind of stuff, you know, that kind of distance away from something as you're doing that pre-macking, again, can be a great tool to use. Um, the duration of how much you're doing that as well. Again, it's it's all part and parcel and, and it's very much going right back to what we've said in multiple episodes. It's about the learner. So it's ultimately about the dog. It's about what's their ability, what's their tolerance levels, how quickly do they go kind of through that emotional state into the uh, not thinking state. All of those things are really key little elements that we've got to consider when we're using any type of training style so that we can absolutely get the best out. So if you're going back to kind of lat and cat and, and bat and everything else, we're doing mm-hmm. disengagement work from a thing that usually revs my dog <laughs> up, like another dog, for example, then if looking at that dog, if my dog finds looking at that dog reinforcing and I would ultimately like them to disengage from looking at that dog and do something else, how long I can do that and how close I am to the other dog is all part of those variables that we're playing around with. So yes, I'm kind of, as you said, I am using pre-Mac as mm-hmm. part of that element, you know, kind of look away the less desirable behavior mm-hmm. um, to reward that to then effectively go back and you can look again as the more kind of prominent behavior mm-hmm. that your dog's choosing to do. But I've got to play around with that. If I just run straight up there and do it, my dog's just going to lose their mind. And, and as you say, mm-hmm. the squirrel analogy and everything kind of kicks back into play as well, which is why the, the the use of a professional becomes so handy because it's that extra pair of eyes and it's that person who can do all of that assessment for you. Because when you're handling, watching the environment, you know, rewarding, marking, doing all that good stuff, it is really, really hard to to be aware of those variables and be able to change them in the moment to help yourself out. And that's where I think a lot of us get unstuck with training because you mm-hmm. start with an ambition and you kind of stick to your ambition regardless. And then a few of those variables change and it all kind of goes out the window a little bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think we've covered pre-max. So that was our What Word Wednesday. We kind of went straight in. Got it done. Start the episode. Boom. Um, you do have to keep listening, though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's um the, the whole grandma's rule thing. I think when people say that, um, the the one thing that kind of makes me want to kind of rebut that type of statement, though, is often that it's often seen as like the negative thing. So, like you say, eat your greens to get your pudding. The pudding's the amazing thing. The greens are the horrible thing. You've got to do the horrible mm-hmm. thing first to get access to the, mm-hmm. the amazing thing. And it's not always the case. And I think, again, it's such a an easy trap to kind of see the the less desirable behavior as being mm-hmm. a, a real kind of sticking point and a real difficult thing to overcome. And it's not. Mm-hmm. It absolutely isn't, especially with dog training. It, you, the, the less desirable behavior can be incredibly fun for your dog. Um, and I think that's always one of those things where when we kind of talk about grandma's rule, I think that's where a lot of people kind of almost start to not doubt it, but don't want to use it because they see it as well, yeah. my dog's got to give me something negative or something that they don't want to do to then get access to something they do want to do. And it's like, no, no, it's not that they don't want to do it. It's just that yeah. given, given the choice, I'd much rather just eat my pudding, but I might actually like a bit of broccoli. It's just mm-hmm. I prefer pudding. So it's not that the broccoli is hideous and I'm kind of, you know, kind of retching as I'm trying to eat it. It's, <laughs> just, it's, it's that balance. And I think whenever it comes to dog training, helping people understand that difference of it's, it's not a bad thing in return for a good thing. It's yep. just maybe a less good thing in turn for a better good thing. Um, and that for me is a really key point to kind of always kind of hammer home to people around 
that's the mindset that you kind of want to be in. It's not a negative for a good. It's a, you know, it's a good for a better. Yes. So I think a few kind of real world examples would be having your lead put on or having your leash put on if you're in the States um, before going for a walk. Lead clips on, but then you go for a walk. Um, Going in the car and then arriving at the beach. Well, sitting in the car is a bit boring, but you then get to go to the beach. Sitting in the car is not a horrible, nasty thing. It's just boring. Um, what would be some other examples? Maybe having to sit before you go out of the door or maybe having to, in kind of training terms, like you might need to do a nose touch before getting your tuggy. A nose touch isn't a horrible thing, but that's the criteria. Nose touch, then reinforcement. Oh, hang on a minute. That sounded like I was just talking about normal dog training. Yeah, exactly. And that's and I think that's the really key bit to to really bring home. It's Premax always there. We just we always seem to focus on it as as you mentioned, it's always that usually that big environmental stimulation, that thing that your dog really wants, and therefore you've got to get them doing something else. And it's yeah, I think when you if you're in a dog training world, we totally get it. But I think most people, when you explain it as grandma's rule, most people think, oh, it's, I've got to get my dog to do something they don't like or they don't want to do to get access yeah, to yeah, things. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's just about affected. It's the same premise, but it's not bad for good. It's actually, like you said, do something that might be a sit in a nose touch that gives you access to maybe some food reinforcement or toy reinforcement. Yeah. And then we can talk about the other environmental reinforcement and how you get access to that. Yeah. And, and I think that's just a really key thing. I always try and kind of drive into people of, mm-hmm. yeah, as you say, it is ultimately, it's just dog training. It's what we do all the time, but it's, it's that concept because people hear these different terms and different things and start to immediately almost see it as one or the other and going right back full circle. It absolutely isn't at all intertwined. It's all part of one thing. Yeah, exactly. It's all part of our big training web that we that we weave when we are trainers. So what shall we move on to now? In fact, I think a little just quickly, let's have a quick plug for the Woof Important podcast before we go any further. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's it's Wolf and Possum. Go and give it a listen. Um, and, and I naturally, I, I have to bat the ball back and say, definitely check out the Canine Hoopers World podcast. There's a lot of things that we cover in the Dog Train Dictionary where in either both or one of our podcasts, we would have talked about these principles, these elements in probably a lot more detail than we have here. So definitely go and check those out as well if you want to dive into any of these topics even more, because I'm almost certain there'll be an episode about it. And remember to tell your friends to listen and rate, review and subscribe because it does help other people find all of our podcasts because there's a lot. <laughs> absolutely is. The, uh, I think we've talked about this before, but like passing the pod to one pooch person in life, that's the way to do it. doesn't have to yep. be everybody. Just make sure you pass it to one person and, and basically ask them to do the same thing. And the more we can daisy chain that along, the more we can spread the word and uh, hopefully people can find it really useful and insightful to help them along with their dogs. Exactly that. So let's dive straight in while we're, while we're plugging stuff to the thingamajig Thursday. Yes. Now this was nothing to do with me. This is all down to Mr. Greg. <laughs> it was. Yeah. I actually, I did a bit of work this time for a change. Oh, it's, uh, I know. Imagine that. Imagine that. Um, so, um, you irritatingly got this pretty much straight off the bat. I think I need to improve my camera skills. So um, I'll let you tell the folks um, what, what this week's Thing Magic Thursday was. Ah, 
what huh i'm not that awake you had it written down this is your one you're meant to tell them the answer <laughs> oh you've got no it was a flat coated retriever That's um uh, one of yeah um one of my beautiful clients dogs um is he's, he's fantastic um his tongue is phenomenal as, a, as you've probably seen in the uh, in the photo <laughs> but yeah it's one of those again every time i see a flat coat retriever i always do that double take of it looks like a lab it kind of looks a bit like a a golden retriever and you kind of get a bit confused by it yeah. Uh, but yeah flat coat retriever was this week's uh, thing in me jig thursday that is very cool. There were actually a couple at the hoops competition I was at the other week. So I actually saw some in the wild. Wow. <laughs> it is. You don't see a lot of them. That's why I thought. It'd be no, a good they're, one. they're not a breed you see in the wild very often. So it's very, very cool. Um, and I've got a very cool one for the next thing we Thursday. So, yeah. Well, I've, I know for a fact one of our listeners um, and I haven't asked her yet, but I'm sure she will. Will let me use her dog uh, for one of these because it's a yeah, it's it's a, a very rare breed. Um, so it'll be a good challenge for people, I think, when we get to that one as well. So I might even Ooh, do a second cool, one. Look at that. Mine's a rare breed one too. Ooh, Ooh. look at this. Look at this. We we will like we will have some. Well, to be fair, we started with a Stafford, so they're they're pretty. You see them in the wild a lot. They're more yeah. common. So we're, we're having a mix up with what we're picking. So that's 100%. cool. So let's crack back on with a bit of learning. And I am going to pass the bat over to Mr. Greg and get him to explain what is known as the hierarchy of needs. Right. Fab. Yeah, I absolutely Thank love you. the hierarchy of dogs needs. So um, for those who um, kind of aren't aware of it, um, it's there's a great infographic guys we'll put it on the uh, on the pages and stuff so you can see it but it's um it's a, a wonderful way just to kind of break down and think about all the aspects of your dog's life and basically how we meet in their needs because when we're not usually that's when we start to see other things happen now it's maybe behaviorally it may be physically lots of different ways it can start to uh, start to manifest itself um but it's one of these things that we kind of need to always kind of have in the back of our minds and a lot of us to be honest do this kind of off the um kind of just naturally you know we don't it doesn't take a lot of thought it doesn't take a lot of effort we kind of do things and as i start to kind of talk through it hopefully that'll all make a bit of sense so uh, for the purpose of the podcast guys kind of think of it as a bit of a pyramid um i'm not I'm not going to lie, guys. I'm not a huge fan of the pyramid infographic because it kind of makes out that some things are more valuable or, or have a greater weighting than others, mm. um, which I think is probably slightly misleading. But I also yeah. get why it is a pyramid because they do ultimately stack on top of each other. And if you're not meeting the one below it, you're definitely not going to be able to meet the one above it. So there's pros and cons to it. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, don't take the shape as a, a reference of, uh, of size and importance, just more about the, the need for it to exist before the next one. So there's ultimately five parts of this hierarchy of dog needs starting right at the bottom, which is biological needs. So a bit like us, again, it's, you know, dogs are living creatures. So this is all about kind of proper nutrition, fresh water, sufficient exercise, air, sleep, shelter, safety, temperature control, you know, veterinary care, gentle grooming. It's all about basically the, the physical well-being and your mm -hmm. dog's ability to, to live and survive. And ultimately what the dogs survive. need for survival. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. yeah. It's all about that biological element there as well. So on top of that, we've then got the emotional needs of your dog. 
So once we know physically they can survive, it's then about starting to actually meet that emotional need of your dog. So that's all about kind of security, love, trust, consistency, benevolent leadership, which is a fab one. I love benevolent leadership. It's a great way to help describe the relationship that we have with our dogs. Um, and that's kind of that next bit. So once I know physically my dog's in a good space, kind of emotionally are they in a good space as well? So, you know, are they living in a world that is supporting them, is loving, is safe and secure for them? to do it from there after that we've got our social needs of our dogs so this is kind of ultimately meeting as just like we do as humans kind of what their social needs are very much around bonding um play and the key bit with this is about kind of who and what with so it might be with us as, as kind of humans it might be with with other animals other dogs the key bit though is that it's about actually meeting their social needs not just doing it for the sake of it and there's a big difference between those two things. So this is about actually doing what your dog likes to do. So my Hugo, for example, he isn't, you know, he's not Mr. Social. What mm -hmm. he does like, um, I always call him pick and choosy. Mm -hmm. He likes to initiate contact with me when he wants cuddles and he wants fuss and he wants belly rubs. He doesn't like it if I just go and do it because I want to do it. So it's a very mm -hmm. one-way street and I'm totally cool with that. That's <laughs> how, how it is. But that's his need. That's his social need. He likes to initiate it. He doesn't like it thrust upon him. And therefore, I need to acknowledge how he is as a personality. And therefore, I need to meet his social needs as a result and through that. And that then naturally ties into his emotional needs and everything else. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, we've then got kind of training needs. Um, obviously, again, you know, force-free, positive stuff. This is about really helping our dogs learn, managing their environments, because guess what? They're, they're not humans. They don't get our crazy world that we that we live in, but we do love to bring them into our crazy worlds. Therefore, we absolutely need to make sure that we're meeting their training needs so they can, again, be safe, happy, and enjoy life with us. Mm -hmm. And then the last part is the, the cognitive needs. And I love this one. It's definitely kind of my favorite one. And I think the bit where there's real shift now particularly in the dog training world around how we start to do this more and have a lot more awareness of your dog's cognitive needs so this is all about kind of choice novelty problem solving it's basically a lot of stuff that we would tag as enrichment um but it's really about kind of giving your dogs all of that ability to do stuff for fun and, and because they want to do it rather than because they have to do it because we've you know we, we've effectively manufactured their environment for them Mm -hmm. So that's it. That's kind of the hierarchy of dogs need. So you've got biological, emotional, social training and cognitive needs. Um, and all of those things together is basically what's going to give your dog the best, most happy, thorough, fulfilling life possible, providing that we can meet and ultimately exceed those expectations and those needs in those various categories. Exactly that. And that ties in really nicely with kind of the next little bit I wanted to explain. So in episode three, when we were talking about BAT, which is the behavioral adjustment training, um, Grisha dis describes it as being on kind of the Lima style training. Now, when I say Lima training, this is not King Julian. There are no ringtails running around. I want to say it's not that cool. It is still very cool, but it's not Madagascar people. So Lima is L-I-M-A, and it is short for least intrusive and minimally aversive training. So what this means is that your trainer or the behaviorist is going to use the least intrusive, minimally aversive strategy out of a set of humane and effective tactics that are likely to succeed. Oh my God, that was a mouthful. 
let's let's dive into Lima a little bit because it does tie in with the hierarchy of needs because we're making sure that we are keeping the dogs below threshold we are not using any methods that are going to use pain or fear to get the behavior we're always looking for the least intrusive method possible which is why I think it's worth us explaining what Lima is because some trainers now, rather than saying they're force-free, they are saying that they are Lima. And people are like, what? They train Lemas? Huh? Which, I'm not going to lie, the first time I heard it, I was like, oh my God, do we actually get to train Lemas? Because that's pretty cool. Like, I got a bit excited about that. You can imagine. Like, Never. I think I could, I could rock a pet Lima running around, sitting on my shoulder, uh -huh. like... Total, total digression and i know this is a podcast and our lovely listeners aren't able to see this but just well, for a we giggle will put it on the social media to make sure that well we absolutely will and typically it's on my other phone so i will have to put on the social media to see it but i was training a goat yesterday <laughs> <laughs> so there you go but yeah anyway so but not quite as cool as a lemur principles apply i remember um so the lovely lizzie benj of um leading and healing pause she's dodges um massage lady she keeps dodging fit trim condition competitiveness um she said to me years ago i need help on a job we need two trainers and i was like okay cool she went yeah there's an english bull terrier and a pig i was like i'm sorry what and anyone that knows bull terriers knows that they are very much why dogs and they question all of what you are asking them to do and this pig, oh, my God, picked up the train. We taught the pig to sit. Like, <laughs> and I know trainers are obsessed with sit, and I'm sorry if I've just triggered some of the trainers. I'm really, really sorry. <laughs> but this little pig, well, say little, it wasn't. It was huge. But the problem was in the household, the dog and the pig had started fighting, which is not ideal, especially oh. not with a bull terrier because, like, you yeah. know. And anyway, we had to train. But the pig picked up on the training so much quicker than the dog did, which, it's, it's, and I'm not going to lie, that was the last day I ever ate bacon. <laughs> it is fascinating. Like, uh, I mean, obviously, if you follow people like Ken Ramirez and stuff like that and see mm. all the various animals and stuff, obviously there's, there's trainers all around the world that work with lots of different species. But, yeah, it's, it's fascinating when you see things that you don't kind of instinctively imagine being trained. Mm. And then see how well some of them can respond to, you know, kind of marker training and all that kind of stuff. It's yeah. it's really really impressive. But anyway, lemurs. Get back so to yeah, back to lemurs. <laughs> yeah. So basically, lemur just means that we're looking for the least intrusive, minimally aversive methods to use with the dog. So it does kind of tie in with that hierarchy of needs and making sure that the dogs are calm and happy. And then that kind of segues us to the last little bit of this section, which is the ladder of aggression, which is then going to segue us to the next bit. But this is all stuff that we kind of touched upon on the last episode when we were talking about the What Word Wednesday with the bat, lat and cat, because the ladder of aggression was um, originally done by Kendall Shepard in a book called The Canine Commandments, which is many moons ago now like it's it's a great book and if you've got young'uns it's it's a good book for young'uns because it's about how to live round dogs and the commandments 
are written that I've got a copy in front of me. So if you can hear the pages flicking. So it's things like being cross does not make you the boss. Um, any dog may bite if he feels danger. Never kick or hit a dog. Um, do not touch a dog you don't know. It's all stuff that kids should be aware of. And unfortunately, I don't think they're being taught enough. So anyone that's listening that knows of youngsters that are living with dogs, the Canine Commandments is, is the book for parents and kids. It's a great resource. But in the book is The Ladder of Aggression. And we will share this to the social medias because there's lots of little infomercials. But the reason The Ladder of Aggression is so nice is because it, it explains how the dogs always start at the bottom of the ladder. And with dog body language, and I'm sure we're going to do a whole episode on body language in the future. Greg, make a note. <laughs> make a note episode seven because episode six is already planned like we're, we're on it we're ahead <laughs> um but it starts off down the bottom with little things and this is going to tie in as well with calming signals that we wanted to talk about today because a lot of the calming signals dog will, dogs will do is actually the very bottom rungs of that ladder of aggression and I think some people have renamed it now like the the ladder of emotional ever, but the very top of it is a dog actually biting. And the amount of times you will hear, well, it bit without warning, that's not a thing. Here we go, Mythbuster of it's not a thing. Dogs do not bite without warning. What happens is, one of two things. If the dog gives all the warnings that are completely ignored, there are a few videos on YouTube of a Labrador nailing a famous dog trainer. And he looks at the camera and goes, I didn't see that coming when the dog had warned him about 30 times before it actually nailed him. Um, or method training methods... I don't like using the word method because in my opinion, it is, it's abuse, but methods that cause behaviors to be kind of suppressed. And when you're, when you're using pain and force and fear tactics to teach a dog, what happens is in the words of Ian Dunbar, you are taking the batteries out of your smoke alarm and we touched a little bit on it on episode one when we were talking about the quadrant, because if a dog is punished for growling, and this is one of my biggest, biggest things, if this is the only thing you take away from this episode, never, ever punish a dog for growling, because a growl is a warning signal. My favorite saying, a very wise man, Mr. Steve, Mr. Steve Mann, um, who is, he's, he's just dude, we freaking love Steve. Um, easy peasy puppy squeezy. If you haven't read it, read it. It's a great book. And doggy squeezy. And doggy squeezy. And doggy squeezy is even better because Dodge Shepherd is in doggy squeezy. So that's even better than puppy squeezy. But <laughs> we're digressing. Steve says, a growl is a favour, not an insult. And that is something that has stuck with me forever and ever. And I've always taught all of my clients. And I remember a few years ago, my brother, um, who's in Australia, he's got twin boys. They've got a rescue dog. She's lovely. 
and they had a barbecue, they had friends around, and Banksia was obviously feeling a little bit stressed. There's lots of people, blah, blah. And one of the boys went to, I think he like went to grab her collar or something, and she growled at him. And my brother went, good boy, Bank, good girl, Banksy, well done, good girl, and called like my nephew away. And his mate was like, did you just tell your dog it was good for growling at your child? And my brother was like, yeah, because she warned him. Yeah, 100%. You always, if that dog has got to the point of growling, and this is where I think society's changed a lot, because growing up, if one of the dogs had growled at us, we would have got a bollocking that the dog had to growl at us. Whereas now, dogs aren't allowed to be dogs. Dogs aren't allowed to express kind of their emotions, which is rubbish. And this is why I think, if not even children, all dog owners should understand and know about the ladder of aggression. Because dogs don't just bite. Dogs always warn. I worked with one dog many years ago. It was a little rescue. He'd come from a very, very um, violent background, unfortunately. He'd lived in, it was, a, it was an abusive home setting. It was horrible. He bit me one day and I just, I couldn't work out what I've, I've been doing some little brush training with him. I didn't even touch him with the brush. It was, the brush was there. He was being warded. We were counter conditioning his emotional response to a brush and he nailed me. And it's the only time I've been bitten. And I look back and he did a tongue flick. That was my warning because he didn't growl. Yeah. The dog had been punished so much for communicating that he didn't go up the ladder of aggression. He just jumped to the very, very top without all of those lovely signals in between. So it's really important that we understand calming signals, but also that we understand that calming signals can escalate. And if a dog feels the need to bite, we as their, their guardians, their, their humans, their leaders, their family, whatever word you want to give yourself, we have seriously screwed up. We have done something very wrong if the dog needs to bite because we've spent thousands of years of evolution for these dogs to not just bite because dogs that bite humans don't get fed. They don't survive. So we've screwed up somewhere. And I think that especially the last decade or so, we are seeing a lot of bites happening and it's because people aren't understanding these calming signals and the ladder of aggression. So the very start of it, and I'm going to let Greg kind of go, jump in a bit, otherwise this is going to be the carry podcast, sorry, um, is yawning, blinking and nose licking. Now, most of these you wouldn't even think are signals. No, and I think the big thing with all of these things as we go through them is, is remembering context um, there's a, f a few things that we are going to be throwing out, and there's a brilliant book by Lily Chin, um, who you've probably seen her drawings around on some vet posters or, or various things online. And the bat one that we're sharing. That one, yeah, 100%. She's, she's fantastic. She's got a real phenomenal skill of drawing what could be considered quite simple cartoon illustrations of your dog, but really conveying all of these common signals and various emotional states of your dogs really well. And one thing is she's got a new book. I am going to plug the book because it's fantastic. It's called yep. language, a dog lover's guide to understanding your best friend. It's a tiny little handbook um, full of drawings, really simple to follow. But one thing that she hammers home massively in this is context is huge. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So lip licking again is a classic, you know, if I've just given my dog a really sticky, tacky treat and they start licking their lips after eating it, I've probably got a second guess whether that is a lip lick because it's a calming signal or is it a lip lick because I've got a bit of, you know, dog-friendly peanut butter stuck on the teeth or whatever. It's So context is always huge with these yeah. things. And I, I tend to find big generalisation. But back to what you mentioned about people who have very little understanding or knowledge of them, that is definitely one camp. I also come across people who are very aware of them but almost kind of over the top with it, dare I say. Hypersensitive, hypervigilant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hyper vigilant. That's the best description. And it isn't like every judge. Yeah, so every second a dog does anything at all, they're constantly trying to analyze why and what happened. And and there's a, there's an enthusiasm I absolutely love about that. But there's an element of it that we always try and find answers to everything. And sometimes mm-hmm. even the best of us, when we're not going to understand it, so being aware of stuff is one thing. Yeah. Then knowing when to, like you say interact you know um kind of jump in there and, and take some other actions or whatever is another thing so with all the things that we go through context is absolutely huge with all of them exactly that so that nose licking blinking yawning all of those could just be general body language but like i mean if the dog's just woken up or is really tired they may yawn but if like they're just hanging out and you're talking and all of a sudden a new person appears and the dog does a yawn that could just mean they're feeling a little bit not sure. So it's just a little thing to kind of pick up on. Now, this one, I think, is one that most people understand. And humans also do this body language, which is turning the head away. Yeah. It is, it, 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 again, like all of us, if you're, in a, if you're in an awkward situation, the classic is usually when, now that we can start to go back in pubs again, uh, <laughs> pubs waiting areas you'll see us humans we do this all the time especially now since the invention of the smartphone like mm-hmm. any time that there's this kind of awkward situation where you've got to stand around and there's new people and it's this weird environment we all start to do this stuff which is our way of dealing with the the weirdness and the social mm-hmm. pressure and the stress of just standing there so we'll take a phone out and we'll start flicking through and looking at all the amazing social media posts from dog and dictionary as a way to almost de-stress yourself and almost distract yourself and almost help it's really quite primal this but we're kind of giving off a vibe of we're not doing anything we're no we're not threat no confrontation we're just there we're present we're just doing some stuff and and the head turn is huge do it all the time you know if 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 somebody um, runs over to me, you give me a cuddle like you would, Carrie, and I don't really want to cuddle from you. The chance are that I'm going to turn my head initially from you. Why to... would you not want a cuddle from me? I'm awesome. It uh, <laughs> depends on what perfume you're wearing. Um, but, it's, it's, <laughs> but it's it's these little things. We all do it. And a lot of it is so subliminal. We don't even yeah. realize it half the time. And, uh, and yet with our dogs, we don't, we are very in tune with it with humans without realizing we are in tune with it. With our dogs, I always find we're not. We, we just we don't see it we don't understand it we're never taught on it so why would we and i think as you say that bite coming out of nowhere going back a, a little bit that is it it absolutely comes from somewhere and unless we help people understand what this stuff is you're never going to see those signs and therefore you're never really going to intervene at a right point and help your dog out in the right situation exactly that and the other thing also with that turning the head away Remember that last episode when we were talking about like the bat and the count and conditioning and the lat and how actually getting the dog to turn away and reinforcing the head turn away. 
Well, then we're reinforcing polite body language because the more the dog practicing and saying it's reinforced, the more they do the behavior. So actually turning the head away is very polite body language. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think, again, this is with a lot of, I think the reason the ladder is a great kind of analogy or visualization of it is because you keep going up it until you basically you get the outcome. And yeah. as you say, if um, my Betty Boo's a classic of this, you know, she'd learned long before she came to me that barking, shouting, lunging, all the stuff that's at the top of that ladder mm-hmm. is very effective at helping her feel better of the scary stuff going away. Yeah. So looking at bat and Latin things like that, actually, if I can... Bring yeah. her back down the ladder. Yeah, so if I can start to mark and reward that those much more polite, calmer body language and those signals that you're mm-hmm. talking about there actually get the same result so do you know what if she does a head turn and the scary thing goes further away and i can help capture that with her absolutely what i'm helping do is almost start to unpick and help her down that ladder to say right you don't need to we'll get into extinction behavior and all that kind of stuff another time but it's that thing of actually i don't need to go straight to the top of that ladder every single time because you know it works i can now start to effectively help you learn other stuff which is much polite and much calmer is just as effective and for some dogs that just takes a bit more time to learn if they've never had had that opportunity or they've always not been listened to exactly that so then from turning the head away then it can be the whole body turning away and you do see this quite a lot when i think especially like now we're allowed to start meeting back up in groups again like people are going to be having barbecues over the summer and stuff if you do have a dog at home and you've got relatives that maybe aren't doggy coming in the house and you see them sort of call the dog over or whatever, and the dog sort of goes, oh, hang on, and then turns away, just ask them to leave the dog a minute. Like, if someone walked up to you in the street, this is one thing I don't understand about humans, right? Why do people want to stroke other people's dogs? Um, I mean, mine are gorgeous, so I, I can fully appreciate the... But as shepherd parents, like... Yeah, it's it's not it's not the best plan generally with with the shepherds. But if the dog turns away, or now the next one is a bit. This is where there can be some conflicting because one of the signs that the dog may be a bit unsure is sitting. And one of the things I love, especially watching puppies, is when puppies just either sit or lie down and just watch the world. I love puppies that will sit and think and go, "Hang on a minute, I'm not sure." I'm just going to sit a minute and have a think about this. And then you see people trying to get them to move. And I'm like, no, no, no. Just let them sit and chill a minute. The other thing is a lot of dogs have been reinforced for sitting because we're all obsessed with sit. And this is a whole debate. And again, sorry to the trainers that are being triggered by the sitting. Um, Those of you that are non-trainers, don't worry about it. We'll get to it in another episode. (laughs) But sitting and also pouring maybe at their... Uh, their owner you know the the person that they trust hello excuse me i'm not feeling comfortable now it could just be that the paw's been heavily reinforced and they just go up to people and do a paw on them so again it's all in context but if the dog kind of is turning away it's generally not particularly happy and he's making a choice to gain distance the next step up is walking away now humans do that sometimes just walk away how many times have you been done? Especially we're going back to this pub analogy now. Just walk away. Walk away. 
before it escalates just walk away we've all been told that at some point in our lives 100 it's uh it, it is and, and like says some of these things and again you get into even more again another one body language alone is, is definitely an episode but yes yeah, all of that stuff all becomes part of it because walking away is one thing how your dog walks away and how their posture is and all that all of this just tells you even more but the basic act of, of movement is a huge kind of mm-hmm. signal to, to us that yeah, I, you know, I actively want to get away from this thing. I don't really feel comfortable yeah. being in close proximity with it, so I'm going to take a few steps. And then that takes us on to the next rung perfectly, which is creeping and ears back. So if the dog just goes, oh, I'm not sure, and walks off, that's cool. But if the dog turns away and then starts creeping away, that's when you know that dog is really not happy. And ears back, this also applies to horses. Here we go. Here's a little equine, equine dictionary. If you approach a horse and they stick their ears flat back to their head, they are probably angered. Move away from them. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, that's the one bit. Of, dare I say you can kind of tell with a horse they've got when that happens. So, uh, but my my venue works with horses a lot. It again, it depends how, whether they've been punished for expressing natural body language. Very true. But I, my, where my training barn is, it's an equestrian farm. And one of the horses decided to go for a wander out of the paddock the other day, right between my classes. So as one class is leaving and the rest are about to arrive, I had this horse just stood in the middle of the road. I'm rubbish with horses. Um, the, the lady whose horse it was had literally just left to go to the suppliers. Um, and obviously saw his opportunity to, uh, to go through a wander. So I'm there trying to... Just help move Dude, it away from... Please tell me you tried to shoo it, because that's going to be amazing. Well, I'm not a little guy, but I felt tiny compared to this horse. She was ginormous. Um, and I was, like, uh, trying very quickly to go, right, if I was a dog trainer what, and this was a dog, what would I be doing? And I'm trying, and I'm like, well, the horses want to eat dog treats, and it's the only thing I've got on me, Like, and I haven't got anything else. It's clearly eating grass, so I can't just rip up a handful of grass and offer that as an alternative. Um but very quickly, there was times when I manoeuvred myself to basically stop going further down the road, uh, uh-huh. closer to the exit, um, where she very much flat-eared and just looked at me as if to say, like, yeah, back off. Try it. I have feet and they're going to hurt if that boots you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, because I was definitely kind of more apprehensive and, and very much feeling out of my comfort zone, Yes, I, I was very in tune with that type of, behavior from the horse and i kind of got the signal loud and clear to to bugger <laughs> off basically um whereas i think with our dogs we because this might be quite controversial but because yeah. we often come from this place of like love i love my dog my dog loves me we we push the boundary massively yes. we do a lot of stuff where this kind of thing um like we just kind of ignore it because we're we, we almost jump through it and assume that it's fine because of how, you know, because of this emotional bond because that we have. we love them. Yeah, yeah. And I'm fairly sure, I, like, I know my wife loves me and I love my wife, but if I just randomly ran up to it and did stuff that I was, I thought was perfectly acceptable because we love each other, I'm fairly confident, like, nine times out of ten, if, you know, going back to a dog like, she'd probably bite me. She'd definitely bark at me. A hundred percent she'd bark at me. And I'd be getting yeah. very clear signals to back off and yeah. get away from her because my behavior or the environment or whatever it might be is, is all inappropriate and she doesn't feel comfortable around that. And 
it's really interesting but for some reason with dogs we kind of miss the middle bit quite quite massively yeah. a lot of the yeah, time yeah. and it's and i think it comes from the right place but it ultimately can quite often result in the wrong type of relationship with our dog harnesses are a classic for that you know mm-hmm. you kind of run up to your dog with and try and shove something over their head they turn their head they yawn the lip lick the, the, and the amount of people who come in and go oh they love going on the walk but when the harness comes out guess what they start to cower and slink away and hide under the table Mm-hmm. And it's, and I was like, when you first put it on, did they used to kind of duck the head? Oh, yeah, all the time. And people just aren't in tune with that being yeah. a dog's way of saying, I'm not comfortable with you shoving something over my face. Yeah. And then when my moving the head doesn't work. Like that, like, yeah, that's quite intrusive. Yeah, yeah 100%. And so therefore, guess what? That didn't work. So I'm going up my ladder now and I'm going to slink off and hide somewhere because I definitely don't want you doing that to me. Exactly that. So if the dog's like creep, creeping is back, the next bit of the ladder then goes to standing crouch with that tail tucked under. And I think the time you see this body language, and not always, but I think the most common time is when dogs are about to go into the vets because they go, uh-oh. Yeah. Now, partly the tail tucked under is possibly to stop the thermometer being used because like, it's not the most pleasant of things, is it? Really, love them. But again, the amount of times you see dogs tuck their tail under or crouch down and the people just ignore it and carry on as normal. And you're like, that's the equivalent of a child like putting their arms across their chest and like tucking their chin into their head and kind of making yourself small. (laughs) You're trying to make yourself as small as possible. So you're kind of inoffensive and, oh, my God, I'm not sure. Now, the next one is one that gets misread so often, so, so often. It's the lying down, rolling on the back, lifting a leg up. Just for those who can't see that, totally triggered Carrie with that statement. It's not a thing, okay? <laughs> Some dogs do genuinely like having the belly rubs, but the belly rub pose where the head's back and the tongue's lolling out and they've got that stupid look on their face and legs akimbo and like scrambling on their back is very different to drop on the floor on their side, leg up, whites of eyes showing, possibly lip licking, possibly yawning. It looks very different. And you get people, oh, they're being submissive. Not we're gonna get on to that in an episode. That is not for today because that is a big trigger for me, and I do need to like be prepared for that mentally. The dog is not being submissive, the dog is explaining to you they are really, really not freaking comfortable, and you need to stop. And then looming over the dog with your whole body to rub their belly. Like, no, it is not a thing. Just in case anybody missed the point. It's not a thing, <laughs> but no, it is. It's it. But again, it, it's us looking at something with, and I'm going to say uneducated eyes, and I don't mean that as a derogatory term. It just is. It we we eyes colour glasses, and we assume that oh, well, it's a lovely thing, and they want the tummy rubbed, and and like I know my my little cubby Lucy, she she's a belly rub queen at home. Like she will paw and claw me like a cat and drag my hand back to her to keep rubbing her tummy mm-hmm. when she's nice and chilled out and relaxed on the sofa. Yeah, Chica How, does. However, outside in the real world, she's not 
she's not unconfident, but she definitely doesn't like overbearing meat with other dogs. Mm-hmm. And she will do that. She, if she feels pressured and stressed, her first option, she always moves away. She then usually hides behind dad. And then if that dog keeps coming, that's when she will drop and roll. And again, it's just her going through that little repertoire of mm-hmm. trying to explain. She doesn't. And I could very innocently look at her and go, oh, look, she wants belly rubs and start toughening. She absolutely doesn't. Like mm-hmm. that context of sofa on an evening to outside and a big dog looming over her, a totally, totally different social situations, totally different comfort levels. And for all it looks like the same behavior, it 100% isn't. In the same way that how I shake somebody's hand can convey very, very different messages to a nice, polite, how you doing, to (laughs) a don't go anywhere near her, otherwise I'll break your legs. And you can convey all of those things in a handshake. It's yeah. the same thing, but the yeah. meaning behind it can be very, very different. And I think that's where we get caught out of assuming that it's almost a one size fits all when it very much isn't. Exactly that. And I think so. I'm going to digress slightly, but many, many, many moons ago, when me and my lovely husband first met, I had a cat at the time called Gambit. And um, please tell me it was named after the X Men. Of course, he was named after the X Men. Where else would he be called Gambit? Like, hello. Well, just just double check. We know I'm a geek, it's a thing. So, yeah, Gam Gam was a little monkey. That was a cat. <laughs> well, yeah, true. Um, we used to call him Cat Dog because he was bigger than both the Chihuahuas. Like, he was pretty hench, he was cool. But the first time Dale met him, Gam rolled on his back and showed his belly. And before I could say don't, because Dale had, well, Dale's mum had a cat. Um, who used to do that for belly rubs because he liked having his tummy rubbed. Now, Gambit was the opposite. Gambit did it and put this really cute look on his face. Then he would grab you with his front paws, dig his claws into your arm and kick your arm with his back feet until he drew blood. Because he was nice like that. Um, He was was a cat, to be fair. That sounds like complete catish behavior to me when he was a kid like my mum had friends of hers asking if i was like harming because i had so many scratches up my arm from him like he what he was cray cray kitten but i just remember like in dale's brain this cat had rolled on his back so it wanted a belly rub and before i could even warn him of the imminent mortal peril that was about to happen yeah it's it, it's really I, I, like I I love the whole wagon tail thing, and and I'm I'm sure you've had this in in work with dogs as well. But the amount of times I hear that like dogs showing a an element of behaviour, let's go right to that top of that ladder of you know kind mm-hmm. of barking, lunging, growling, snapping, and a tail wag, um, and people again get very confused that well the tail's wagging. Yeah. I thought that means they're happy, and and again back to context and everything else, um. It, it's it's so nuanced and it's 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 an art in itself reading kind of dog body language but it isn't as black and white as i think a lot of us are led to believe and i always remember the amazing muzz of imdt and his we love mustafar yeah his beautiful <laughs> rotty and i remember him talking about this and his rotty you know not great around dogs that he doesn't know um and Jeff apparently a legend i love jeffro i, I meet jeffro's in a circle so i can say oh, that bless. but yeah must does tell a great story about kind of again his dog will effectively show very happy giddy a bit like your cat 
kind of signs that many would misinterpret as, oh, I'm fun and playful when actually I just want to do some serious damage to you. And it's uh, and again, it's just, it's so, I mean, I find it fascinating, but again, I think it's why we, we do the job that we do. But I think for a lot of us, with a lot of stuff our dogs do, mm-hmm. we either just completely miss it. And when we do see it, we often misinterpret it. And I think it definitely when you get to the top of that ladder, that's when a lot of people misinterpret. And, yeah. you know, you, again, if you look at my Betty, when she sees another dog, she used to be very much at the top of that ladder. And it's easy to misconstrue that as overt aggression. And But it, the emotion behind it, the reason she was doing that was not because she wanted to fight everything. It was because she was petrified of everything. Yeah. And she just learned that that rank of the ladder got the result. So just quickly as well, because we are right near the top of the ladder. We are like three rungs from the top now. So we are right at the tip. Right, go, 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 go. So the third from top is that stiffening up and staring. Now, anyone that has a guarding breed or herding breed, we've bred the dogs to stare at stuff to make it go away. We've kind of done that. Like that's, that's one of the things that we went, oh, that's a good trait for that dog to have. Therefore, we will keep that in the breed. So you find that staring and stiffening up. Again, a lot of people miss it. And one of the things my little terrier, Tizer, God rest him, going back to this tail wag, I knew he was about to go to nail something because he did have to wear a muzzle quite a lot, bless him. His tail would wag, but it wasn't this lovely soft wag. It was like a vibration of anger building before it was released and he would stiffen and you see in human language you think again we're going back to this pub analogy two blokes squaring up at each other or even two girls i'm from watford i was about to say don't don't be casting us all with that now watford dude it's happened i'm from the north Um, trust me it's definitely (laughs) (laughs) you see that stiffening of posture Two fight, even if you think like professional fighters, they don't go into the ring all soft and like, all right, mate, how are you? They're stiff, they're staring. It's very aggressive kind of body language. Dorman deliberately stand there looking grumpy and stiff for a reason. Shout out to all the doormen. <laughs> the next rung up is growling and snapping. Now, I actually think this should be two runs because a growl happens sometimes. I actually, I occasionally, if I'm getting really, really annoyed, I will admit a small growl noise. It does happen sometimes. I, I hear it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's because you that's because you anger me and it annoys me. <laughs> but I will in my repertoire go like And we all do it. We all growl to ourselves sometimes when we're really wound up. But this is the point where dogs are often punished for that growl and they really, really shouldn't be because the next step from the growl is an air snap, which is a warning. If an air snap happened, they're like, oh, they snapped. They shouldn't have done that. Well, hang on, they air snapped. If they were close enough to air snap, they were close enough to bite. So actually, again, Maybe we should praise the dog for just air snapping and then remove them away from that trigger. The final step is a bite. And this is what we want to avoid at all costs. Now, I'm just going to say this is another one of those. It's not a thing. Playing tug with your dog does not teach your dog to bite. Okay. 
that's not a thing. <laughs> no, hundred percent agree. It really isn't. It's it's the purposes behind the two elements are just so far removed. It's it's not even funny. But again, it's because it uses the same part of the anatomy. I think this is where people join the dots and and create weird and wonderful pictures. But it absolutely isn't. You know. Dogs' mouths are incredibly sophisticated kind of parts yeah. of their anatomy. And, yeah, there's a very big difference between a mouth on toy and playing to feeling in a situation where they feel the need to, to, to air snap or even bite. It's, it's Yeah, rough. yeah, yeah, massively. So I think the last thing that I do want to mention while we're talking about this ladder of regression, so we started off with that blinking, nose licking, and we've worked all the way, all the way up, 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 up to the big emotion which we try and avoid with our bat or our cat or our lat or whatever we're doing and our lovely lemur training and all that stuff is that people see when they talk about aggression, they just think that the dog is aggressive and you raise the point with Betty. I think Dodge is slightly the other way. And I think Dodge is sometimes his aggressive responses come from frustration rather than fear but a large, 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 I would say 90% of dogs I have worked with that have been given the label aggression have actually been either fearful or frustrated. I would say I've met maybe one or two dogs that I would classify as aggressive. Yeah, uh, yes, 100% agree. It's, it's, it's one of those things where... Yeah, again, we we label the uh, you know the, the behavior, the act as as a, and I, I I totally get why people see it as aggression, but there's a big difference in what people will see as the act and the motivation behind the act, and dogs do what works. It, it, it's really quite that binary. So, if uh, going using again Betty Boo's analogy, if she's had a, a long history of all of those little signals that we've worked through so far, not being effective at helping change the situation and ultimately make her feel a bit better, then she's going to go up that ladder and find the one that works. And therefore, once she's found that one that works, it becomes the go-to. And it's why it can so quickly feel like I've got an aggressive dog or I've got, you know, a, an unstable dog or whatever, again, labels, whole other, whole other thing, but whatever that is that I'm tagging it on, the the reason behind that behavior is what a lot of trainers and behaviors are ultimately looking for. Mm-hmm. The this the behavior itself, the the outcome, the action, is a symptom of something else, and that's what we are ultimately always trying to understand. So, right as you've said numerous times, when you're looking at these things and you see them happen, it's looking at the why. Why did that just happen, and why was my dog in that situation, and why did they feel the need to go to that level, and and you know constantly questioning that and it's not a, a massive you know kind of uh, scientific investigation it's really often quite simple like you say barbecue scenarios lots of people mm-hmm. all of these little things that we can kind of take for granted to be honest and just expect our dogs to be comfortable with a lot of the times are not so yeah as you say if that happens you haven't got generally huge like but like i said you haven't got an overtly aggressive dog you know, you've got a dog that is communicating and the fact they can communicate is an amazing thing because yeah. it means, guess what? We now have a, a plane to, to talk on and we can use that to help, you know, 
figure out why and then put the right things in place to prevent them getting to that point again in the future like i say yeah in your same similar with yourself i've i've only ever come across one dog so far in my um kind of professional career that was overtly aggressive and that was rooted in trauma um and so again it, it i dare even say it wasn't you know this dog didn't want to go out and pick fights but it, it got mm-hmm. itself into such a you know kind of an emotional and biochemical state that actually it kind of it felt like it had no other choice all of the time yeah, yeah, yeah. um and therefore it manifested as what just looked like outright aggression constantly and it's um but you know that dog had been through through, through some hellish stuff but again that then falls back to possible frustration but also fear and trauma which again like so when we say oh that dog's aggressive like it's a label that gets thrown around so so much and reactive yeah it's i know reactive is one of your trigger ones and we are (laughs) going to save that for episode five because i think we're we're nearly at the end of episode four i think everyone's brains are going to be imploding because we've spoken about pre-mac we did the hierarchy of needs. We've discussed how Lima training is not actually ringtail types. Um, and we've done the ladder of aggression and calming signals and stuff. So we are going to be covering, we're going to do a whole episode on body language because it's such, such, such a massive subject. But the next episode, um, I think we'll kind of carry on with that sort of aggression bit. And I want to talk a bit about dogs being dog social and what socialization actually is, because I think this is a big subject that's very misunderstood. But just for the listeners, if you know, remember, the world has been very, very different for the last year for all of us. Um, I was at my first show a couple of weekends ago, and the Saturday was kind of the most peopling I'd done. And I trigger stacked, like, Dodge actually was handling everything really, really well. And I trigger stat because it's always, it's always the human's fault. It's never the dog's fault. It's always the people's. It's always the people's. But this is the other thing we have to remember. If you are going to be having lots of family around, if you're having friends around and your dog hasn't been around those people because of social distancing and all those rules, don't see it as a failure to just pop your dog inside in a safe room or in a crate with a chew just hanging out because control and management is about keeping your dog safe and keeping everyone safe. So if in doubt, just keep your dog out of the space, let them chill out. Maybe once everyone's eaten and hugged and chatted and kind of it's calming down a bit, then let the dog out. But while everyone's arriving, there's loads of hustle and bustle. Just pop your dogs away guys and keep them safe because this is how we prevent bites from happening. Yeah, hundred percent. And a big thing with all the stuff that we've talked about this in this episode, guys, is um, the signals are absolutely one thing. Context is massive, but remember your breed. Um, mm-hmm. Again, as, as you kind of touched on with some like guarding breeds, you know they're going to do behaviours that are natural and not actually rooted in this kind of ladder in the way that you might think it is. So we've always got to kind of weigh these things up and assess them properly, but it's like everything with, with dog training, it's a, it's a guide. It's a reference. It's one of thousands of tools that we, you know, that we look Mm -hmm. at. So again, don't look at it as a one size fits all. It's just to get that brain working and start to really look at things a little bit differently to maybe than how you have historically. Exactly that. So just before we finish as well, anyone that um, has their dogs around children, whether it's within your own household or 
if you're visiting friends with children. A little stat, and this is not a nice stat, um, but 77% of dog bites come from either a family or a friend's dog. So it's a dog that is a pet within a home. It's not some crazy random like street dog thing. We don't tend to get so many of those in the UK, but bites don't happen out the blue, guys. This is where you need to know about this ladder of aggression. The Canine Commandments is a great book for kids. But there is a brilliant website called thefamilydog.com. And if you just Google Stop the 77, there is loads of information in there for families and kids. There's some really cool kid-friendly videos. Um, there is one called I Speak Doggy. This is a public service announcement. It's brilliant. It's to the tune of London Bridge. And for the rest of the day, you will have the song ingrained in your head of when he eats, I walk away. Because it's so cool. It's such a good resource for those of you kids. Also, um, the doggy genie for the older children explains how to like give dogs space, approach them correctly, stuff like that. The more we can educate people, the more we can educate children, the next generation is going to speak dog a lot better. And for some reason, speaking dog seems to have skipped a generation and it's causing problems now with dog bites. We can prevent them. We can stop them happening. So just keep your dog safe, guys. And if in doubt, go with your gut feeling. If for some reason you just go, oh, I'm not sure. Go with your gut. There's a reason your gut has said this is not a good situation. Either get yourself out of it or get your dog out of it. If you know that great aunt Maud is going to come running around and stick her face in Pooch's face and try and give it a snog and your dog does not like new people, maybe put the dog away before aunt Maud loses her nose. Just saying. I'd, I'd say, yeah, I'm different. I wouldn't invite Aunt Maud round, but that's, well, that's my... but sometimes you have to. Sometimes Aunt Maud has to come around because family politics, you know. Sadly. It, just another great website, and it, it's, it's a fab one for kind of teachers or people who like to do interactive stuff with their kids and dogs. And bluedog.org. Okay. And some cool, loads of like downloadable colouring pictures and books and cards and all that kind of stuff. Really great resource as well for kind of kids and dogs uh, to help people out around that as well. Cool. So, guys, check out those websites. Remember, on our social, Training Tip Tuesday, What Word Wednesday. We need your help, guys. We want to know what words you want explained so that we can keep coming up with episode ideas and helping you guys with the Dog Training Dictionary. And then Thursdays. Thingamajig Thursday, my favourite. Uh, yeah, Thingamajig Thursdays is always there. And then Fun Fact Friday will follow. So again, guys, just in terms of the um, the way this works, so the week that the podcast is not out is when you're going to see those social media posts. And then the week after, you're going to have our lovely podcast to come and listen to. And more importantly, get your answer at some point to where Thingamajig Thursday to see if you were right. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to having you back with us in our next episode to find out what the uh, what the next one is. And remember, guys, rate, review, subscribe. And as Greg says, pass the pod. Let your friends know because the more listens we get, the more education we can bring out there and we can make everyone's world a happier kind of place. Definitely. And we've got some amazing things in the pipeline, but we absolutely need your support to help get those things off the ground. So, yeah, please spread the word, folks, and then we can bring you even more amazing content. Cool. So until next time, guys, yeah. bye. Bye. If you would like to join in the fun of What Word Wednesday, 
and Thingamajig Thursday. Follow the Dog Training Dictionary on Facebook and Instagram at Dog Training Dictionary. Email any questions to dtd at dogtrainingdictionary.com. Please rate, review and subscribe and tell your chums. The Dog Training Dictionary is brought to you in association with Canine Hoopers World and the Woofing Pawson Podcast. Follow Canine Hoopers World on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Canine Hoopers World. The Woofing Pawson Podcast can be found on Facebook and Instagram at Great Paws NE. Thank you once again for listening and we hope you've enjoyed your learning journey. It's a dog training dictionary.